and not to get on my soapbox about appellate work, but I will just add that drafting a motion to dismiss is legal research and writing, and drafting the appeal of that motion to yeah. dismiss is legal research and writing. It's the same <laughs> exercise. It's equally fun. So it's another reason why, in giving that answer, you may show yourself to not be understanding the full context of what the firm is doing. And so you're also in the camp that it's okay to be uncertain. 1,000%. Again, I think what you said about authenticity is spot on. Welcome to Black Lines and Billables, a podcast about legal technology and innovation and law firm associate success and development. I'm Christian Lang, editor of the Black Lines and Billables blog, and I'm here with a few of my favorite current and former big law lawyers to try to do something a little bit different on today's podcast. A few months ago, the blog launched Tips for Law Students content, which included a piece on interview tips for the 2Ls and 3Ls heading into early interview week or on-campus interviews with law firms. Relatedly, a meetup group I helped organize called Associate Intel, How to Survive and Succeed at a Law Firm, held an informal interview Q&A session around the same time. As a result of both, we heard a bunch of great interview-related questions from our readers and listeners out there, and we wanted to follow up with some answers, particularly now that we're in the throes of callback season. But instead of simply publishing another blog post from any single voice, I thought it would be much more useful to put those questions to an informal panel of a number of different lawyers from different firms and different practice groups who, among them, have interviewed literally hundreds of candidates on behalf of top firms. So I'm here with my good friends Matt Weinberg, Victoria Coyle, and in true uh, big law fashion, our our third panelist is stuck on a conference call, so we're hoping that she will join us shortly. Um, and we'll introduce her when she arrives. And they're going to help me field the questions that we've gathered uh, in advance of this episode. And I'll let them introduce themselves to you in just one second. First, two quick notes before we begin. One, if you enjoy this little experiment today or you have additional interview-related questions you'd like answered in this sort of panel in the future, let us know. At the end of the episode, we'll tell you the best way to be in touch. And two, all of our panelists, myself included, are here simply trying to lend a hand to the law students out there around the country struggling through a crazy and somewhat opaque rite of passage for all big law-bound students, one that we all went through ourselves. We're all speaking off the cuff, and most importantly, we're all here in a purely personal capacity, not on behalf of any firm where we currently work or have worked in the past. So our opinions are imperfect and wholly our own. And with that housekeeping out of the way, let's kick things off. Um, Matt, Victoria, thanks so much for joining us. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, Why don't you each take a second and introduce yourselves for our listeners so they know who you are and where you're coming from. Uh, My name is Victoria Coyle. I went to UVA for law school, and I was a litigator at Sullivan and Cromwell for eight years doing a mix of regulatory work, government investigations, and civil litigation. I'm Matt Weinberg. I went to NYU for law school, um, graduated in 2010, uh, did a clerkship uh, for one year at a district court, and then uh, have been at Davis Polk since 2011, uh, also uh, doing mostly government investigations, regulatory work, uh, some civil litigation, but uh, more focused on the investigations part as time has gone on. And I guess I should introduce myself. My name is Christian Lang. Um, I am also a, a graduate of NYU Law School, which is how I know Matt. I clerked on the 11th Circuit and then joined the M&A group at Davis Polk in New York uh, and also spent some years in their London office doing general corporate practice. Uh, I left the firm in 2016 to work on a number of ventures, including Black Lines and Billables, which is what brings us here today. Well, we've got a a bunch of questions, uh, and we want to get to as many of them as we can, so let's just dive right in. This first bucket has to do with kind of where 
law students should interview, particularly at the callback stage, and how they should go about getting information about the firms with which they're interviewing. So here's a big, broad umbrella question, just kind of right out of the gate. In your experience, what is the most important kind of bit of information or type of information that you need to find out about firms as you're entering this process, when you're trying to decide who to interview with and while you're interviewing to decide whether you would like to join a firm or not? What were you guys looking for? Like, in, in What do you think law students should be looking for now that you've been in firms and interviewed plenty of candidates? I might give two answers to this question. One that's important both in your fact-gathering exercise and also in the effort to put the best foot forward would be to try to get the best understanding you can about what the firm actually does. That will drive you asking intelligent questions, but it will also allow you to really think about do I want to do what these lawyers do? Do I look at the fourth-year associate across the desk from me and think I want to be them in four years? Um, The other thing I would say is that a real feeling about fit is very important. I actually summered at a different firm than I ended up joining for my full-time career, and I made that choice based on sort of people's saying about reputations and um, not about my own personal feelings of fit. And I think that you really have to try to spend as much time as you can with the attorneys that you meet and really think, can I see myself working with these people? And that's an opportunity, jumping ahead a little bit, if you have an offer to think about trying to go to dinner or at least lunch or do a second visit, things like that, to try to really feel like you you feel comfortable there because you're going to spend a lot of time there. Yeah, it's a great point. I think we definitely should pick that back up later. Yeah, I, I could not agree with uh with that anymore, and, and we can address it in more detail. I also would just say I can think of two kind of threshold questions that you should definitely um, research and consider before uh, interviewing with firms. One is whether there's anything you know special or unusual about the firm summer program. Many uh, firms just have a program where you come in and you're just kind of a free market associate where you can just do some corporate work, some litigation work. Um, but if the firm has any sort of um, you know, specific program where you're kind of assigned to a very um, narrow group or a specific group or a specific partner. That's obviously something that you should know before uh, going into the interview process. And the second, um, maybe obviously, but um, if you if you are somebody, and I think this will be the minority, but if you are somebody who's very interested in a specific practice area, you should obviously make sure that the firm actually uh, works in that practice area <laughs> yes. um, and not just, you know, has it on its website, but, but really uh, engages in that kind of work. So I don't think that will apply to everybody or even most people, but it is important for, for those of you who um, do have that consideration. Well, that's actually a great segue into another question we got from, from one of our readers, which is how, how do you actually go about distinguishing between the groups where the law firms that the law firms actually have a robust practice in, in a go- or a good practice in versus a mediocre practice uh, from the outside as a law student how do you get behind that curtain and understand that I think that's very it's very hard to do I think one thing you could consider doing is if your law school or through other networks you um, can speak to associates who actually work at the firm and see um, whether they've actually had an opportunity to work on those types of matters um, that would that would certainly be uh, one idea that I would have. And maybe another way to get at that information would be that most firms feature key deals or litigation matters that are in the news, and that would be a good way to suss out what the main practice areas within litigation and corporate are at a particular firm. Yeah, uh, deals of a certain magnitude, uh, names you recognize, right. number of deals. And there are, there are published uh, what they call league tables, which will show you, you know, on an aggregate basis, 
who's doing what volume of types of work, uh, and those can be quite helpful. And the law firms actually put a lot of stock into trying to make sure they're high up on those things. So they try to put their best foot forward. So that's an important resource. And I think this is actually a good transition into a question we've received from quite a number of people, which is just at a very high level, at a 30,000-foot level, how much research should you be doing about a particular firm when you're going in to interview? I mean, should you be spending 20, 30, 40 hours just knowing everything there is to know about the firm or an hour online? I mean, what, what, what's the right amount? Uh, no, not 20, 30, 40 hours, <laughs> probably not even an hour. Um, you know, look, I think it, it, to some extent it's it's going to be dependent on how interested you are in the firm. I think if you're uh, very interested in the firm, then, then it pays off to do the research. Yeah, I would certainly agree. I think an hour per firm that you're doing a callback with seems like a good target, and it's another reason why you don't want to overcommit yourself in terms of callbacks to give yourself the time to do that research while also keeping up with your ongoing Class work, and I would just say, I mean, I think the research that we're talking about is, is hopefully research that doesn't take very long. So, you know, I, I don't think it's worthwhile to spend significant amount of time trying to read about every single matter or case that a firm has handled. But you know, doing a little bit of diligence just to make sure that again they have the practice area that you want to that you want to focus on, if you know that, which which will not be for everyone. When you guys got interview schedules with particular lawyers, did yeah. you spend time looking them up and trying to know what they do or? You know, did you did you try to do any personal uh, diligence background? In, in total confession here, I'm not sure I 100% remember, but I do <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do recall um, googling some lawyers. So I think that I probably did that. Maybe it was before the on-campus interview, not before a callback, because um, before a callback, I may not have known who I was interviewing with. But um, I do think if you know who you're interviewing with. Cannot hurt to Google that person. I, I, I don't see why you want yeah, to. Yeah, if they've done do something really high profile yeah. recently, it might be good to know that they've done it. Yeah, I think for the, especially for the very senior lawyers mm-hmm. who might, if you have one very senior partner on your schedule, it's not a bad thing to mm-hmm. understand the context around who you're having an opportunity to interview with. Yeah. I've had some candidates who I interviewed with who sort of were trying to say something about having looked me up, but it didn't really have a point, and so it kind of seemed a little off. So I think unless you have something real to bring up, don't feel like you need to kind of make a point. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't, I, totally, I wasn't necessarily suggesting that you would tell the person you looked them up, mm-hmm. but just that you, it makes sense to have looked them up just so you are going into the room knowing a little bit about the person's background. One other point on um, preparation that you might do is also one way to cut through all of the internet noise is um, to try to seek out a rising 3L who summered at that firm the prior summer, and they may be able to give you a few quick you know, notes on main practice areas or something else that's unique about the firm to know. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, and I found that to be one of the most helpful kind of sources of information about firms. That and just spending time with as many people at the firm as you can. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that's also, you know, certainly the case once you have offers in hand, if you're picking through two or three firms, um, you know, going back for return visits, meeting as many people as possible. Let's talk a little bit about the actual interview experience itself. We got a lot of questions from people on like, what's the, what's the best way to come across as an impressive candidate? What's, what's the worst thing you could do in an interview? Um, which I think is an interesting question. You could take this in any number of directions, right? But let's go ahead, just let the three of us around the table. Yeah. What is kind of the, the best practice, the best things you can do, and the worst things you can do when you're walking into a law firm callback at a, at a large law firm? few thoughts come to mind. This is kind of interview 101, but it bears repeating, which is be prepared to speak about anything on your resume. 
Um, sometimes in these situations, associates and partners are interviewing quite a lot of candidates, and so they will actually look at your resume and pick out things that they want to ask you about. So don't put anything on your resume that you're not prepared to speak to. Um, I would also say, uh, again, knowing what um, the firm does and not, for example, saying, oh, I want to do X, and it turns out that that firm really doesn't engage in that practice or not in a significant area. And my last thing I would say is, have a personality and don't be afraid to show it. I think that's the main mm -hmm. thing. You know, your resume, your grades, your law school, they speak for themselves. But really what people are looking for is for somebody to show personal engagement, eye contact, interest, etc. I completely agree with that. I mean, the associates and partners you're meeting with, they're taking 30 minutes uh, out of their very busy schedules to, to talk to an applicant. Um, if the conversation is interesting um, and the person you're speaking to has personality, that is um, much better for the associate or partner, and I think it's more likely to, uh, to reflect that when they, when they give their interview feedback. One other thing I would say that this isn't firm-specific, but kind of um, more of a macro, um, having a macro understanding of what big law firm associates actually do. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, when, when people come in and uh, can, can clearly have an understanding of what the actual um, you know, practice is. I think I'm, I'm always impressed with that. Now, look, that's not to say that if you don't know what, you know, don't have a good understanding of that, that that's, that's a major red flag. Absolutely not. Yeah, but I, I, do I had zero Yeah, and, and so did I, and so did I. I'm just saying I am very impressed when people seem to have so you're, really you're holding it, you know? you're holding these law students to a standard <laughs> that you wouldn't hold yourself to. Yes, and 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 yes. All I'm saying is that 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 could be a way to really stand out, yourself. and and to, and so it makes sense to talk to people again, talk to the three L's, talk to current associates, and certainly not suggesting that that you should kind of innately have all of this knowledge. I was going to maybe disagree, but I think we're sort of in agreement that or ask. What is a day mm, yeah. in your life like? What did you do for the last four hours today? I think that's one of the best questions to yeah. actually get an understanding of what big law looks like, what that firm looks like, and what that specific practice area looks like. Yeah, yeah I think that's valuable. Firms make a substantial investment in their recruits and in their new lawyers. And, and it, so therefore, I tend to think it's a very good thing if you if – you, look like you know what you're signing up for or are open to you're trying to understand what you're signing up for you're not just the kid looking to you know knock out some of your law school debt mm -hmm. you know hang on get something in the resume for a couple of years and take off so that that always helps um picking up on a point that victoria mentioned a minute ago about the personality we mentioned this in the the eiw oci interview tips blog post but to me like the, the ultimate litmus test that I think a lot of people apply is, you know, if I'm on a 110 hour week and I'm at the office at three in the morning under immense amount of stress, could I see myself sitting next to you know, this person in a room working with them, not wanting to kill them? Like that is, it really is that 3 a.m. like hyper stress, super tired environment test that really goes a long way. And, and conversely, in terms of what are the worst things you can do, um, you know, a lot of them are one-off and idiosyncratic, so it's hard to come up with a formula. But one of the themes that I recall from my days when I used to interview is I always got a pretty bad taste in my mouth when candidates demonstrated through the way they answered questions and the way they interacted with you that they were kind of difficult people, difficult to work with, kind of hard. You know, because again, this all this all flows together. You're you're working 
under extreme amounts of pressure, on very tight timelines, mm -hmm. doing really difficult, complicated stuff. You need people who can be kind of easy to get along with and work with. Can you give an example? It could be a hypothetical, but you know, one that where somebody might come across difficult. Yeah, I, I, I think this often comes up when you're kind of asking somebody questions about something and they kind of are attacking the premise of your question. Mm -hmm. you, you, can you kind of visualize what right. I'm talking about? They're kind of like, well, I don't know if I agree. You know, and you're like, Okay. Just answer the question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interviewing you in here now. Um, so I think that was something that used to happen, not all the time, but certainly not infrequently. Um, you can get some, you know, particularly out of the top law schools, you get some brilliant people, but can have some pretty difficult personalities. And if you can demonstrate that you have the chops, the intellectual chops, and you still be somebody that other people want to work with, it can really redound your benefit, in my experience. I'd add, I agree with that. I think it's important to respect the time of the lawyers that you are interviewing with um, and not present yourself as disinterested because those lawyers are pretty busy and taking the time to sit with you and give you their undivided attention is a real you know, contribution to you. So, And I would also say, I'm not going to overstate and say this is the worst thing somebody could do, but I mentioned earlier understanding what practice areas the firm is actually engaged in. You know, I have one story of somebody on campus saying, you know, I want to do environmental law, and it's sort of awkward because it's like, you know, generally speaking, that is not a major part of my firm's practice, and so where do we go from here in this interview? But a slightly lesser offense is a lot of law students say that they want to do appellate work, and I understand the appeal, no <laughs> pun intended, of appellate work. It is really interesting, but with the exception of very few firms, most firms do not do a ton of appellate work, and coming in, setting the expectation that that's what you're going to do makes for a little bit of a difficult interview and you know again just try to tie your interests to generally what you what you think the firm does yeah i think that's valuable advice the next question um is one that's near and dear to my heart because this is one that i had when i was coming through the process um is it okay in your mind for a candidate an interviewee to express uncertainty about what they want to do you know at, you know as between litigation and transactional work for example um, or or should they try to express some sort of preference or some sort of clear preference i think uncertainty is absolutely fine in fact when i hear somebody who's very certain about wanting to do x or y practice maybe not corporate versus litigation that i understand really wanting to do one or the other but somebody who really knows they want to do a specific type of work um, you know it could come off as potentially closed-minded. Well, I, we, in our in our in our blog post, we actually yeah. talk about something very similar to this. It's about like deploying de like really specific details about law firms and law practices in your interviews. Done properly and well supported, it can be really powerful and make yep. it look really good. Yep. But it's also very dangerous yeah. because you don't. How the heck do you know exactly. what it the what broader it is? context? Yes. Yeah, and you don't know if if that group or that particular you know practice mm -hmm. is hiring as you, yep. know, you know. There's all kinds of reasons why that's a dicey proposition. So so. I'm a big believer that that the lodestar of how to act in interviews is authenticity. Just yep. if you can speak to it, if you can speak to a niche interest authentically, do it. And if it's not what the firm does, great. You don't want to be there because you have an authentic interest to do right. this stuff. You should find a different firm. But don't have a contrived kind of niche specialty interest. Totally agree. If you have a specific reason, say you're an engineer and so you want to pursue IP because that's why you went to law school, right. great, makes a ton of sense, but certainly feel no pressure to come up with an answer because you think that's what people looking, are looking for. And not to get on my soapbox about appellate work, but I will just add that drafting a motion to dismiss is legal research and writing, and drafting the appeal of that motion to yeah. dismiss 
is legal research and writing. It's the same exercise. It's equally fun. So it's another reason why, in giving that answer, you may show yourself to not be understanding the full context of what the firm is doing. And so you're also in the camp that it's okay to be uncertain. 1,000%. Again, I think what you said about authenticity is spot on. If you have an authentic reason to have a preference, great. But if you really don't know... And in general, if you don't entirely know what it's like to be a big law lawyer, expressing curiosity and interest and engagement is a perfectly fine way to approach yeah. interviews. I, I am confident nobody has ever not received an offer because yes. they were uncertain about what practice area they want to work in. That's funny. I, I, I don't know if this was a product of, of coming of interviewing right after the financial crisis, which is when mm-hmm. you and I were yep. interviewing. I think our career services folks strongly encouraged us to be decisive about our interests. And I remember, it was funny, it was actually at a Davis Polk cocktail hour. I was at a bar. I'd walked up to the bar. I was ordering a scotch right next to this Capital Markets partner named Rich Strucker. He's great. He, like, was ordering scotch as well. He's like, so, what do you, who are you? What, what are you doing? What do you want to do? What are you interested in? And I, you know, took the advice of career services and was like, <laughs> oh, I'm interested in X. And he just kind of stared at me for a minute. And then he was like, what aren't you telling me? And I'm like, well... <laughs> I mean, I couldn't be interested in X, I think, but I also am kind of interested in Y, and I, you know, I was kind of advised to pick one, but to be honest, I'm kind of torn because I don't, you know, and he, and he just kind of laughed, and he was like, look, I, I, I think you should just be very candid about what you like. I don't think there's any liability to that, and so I took his advice through my interview process, and everything worked out great for me. So That's good advice. Yeah, it was, fun, it was funny. Um, here's, here's a question that comes up quite frequently. Um, and we can talk about it generally, but specifically in the callback context. To what extent do you think it's important to address proactively some sort of perceived weakness in your candidacy or in your resume? Your grades weren't up, that up to snuff, you don't think? Or what, 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 what's your take on this? I, I don't think it's necessary to do so. Um, I think that uh, if the interviewer wants to address that, they can think of a way to politely bring it up. Um, you know, bringing it up on, on your own, I, I suppose, could come off as defensive. Um, but I, I actually don't feel strongly about this one either way. It, 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 if you're more comfortable, if you're going to leave the interview and be stressed out because you did not proactively mention it, then I certainly don't think it's harmful to do so. Um, but I, I wouldn't feel uh, that you need to if it's going to just the other way, you know, make you make you anxious that to bring it up. Yeah, I mean, I, I look... If you've been called back to the firm, that happened because you met a certain threshold between your resume and your transcript and your on-campus interview. Um, And it could, I agree, come across as defensive to raise it. And I would say that you are more likely to have a successful callback and receive an offer by giving an excellent interview and being engaging and showing personality and interest and understanding in what that lawyer does. I don't know that barring some really specific explanation of why you got a terrible contracts grade, that's going to really change the outcome of the interview. That's my instinct. So so I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I tend to think if you have received a callback, you have met all the objective criteria to be an associate at a particular law firm. And then it's more of a subjective evaluation as to whether you would fit, whether you're the right candidate. Um, so I, I think it's a slightly different conversation at the screening stage, uh, like you know the on-campus interviews. And, but even then, it's a tough call, right? Because I agree with you, Matt. 
they may not see they may not they may not see what you're seeing. They may not see those liabilities. So you risk you know you might be able to draw the sting of a of a particularly bad situation and change somebody's thinking about it. And it certainly is the case that some interviewers might be like uh, have written you off and not feel the need to try to address it explicitly. But it's equally likely they don't see it as a problem, or if they do see it as a problem. So you know if you just calculate the pot odds and think about am I more likely to be making the situation better or worse? There's a pretty good argument to say you shouldn't. That said. Uh, and I addressed this at the meetup group we had on interview Q and A. If there is a, if there is something that is clearly like, if, if you are interviewing at a firm, if, like you know, Williams and Connolly, and, and your grades are not what you know, like if you're, if, if there is a firm that has very strict requirements that is enforced, and you don't meet them or something, but you're trying to say, here's why I do belong, or if there's something that's wildly out of step with the norm, and the interviewer doesn't bring it up, could be worth, could be worth going ahead and saying, look, let me, let me frame this for you in the way that I want you to think about it. Um, but again, don't don't be defensive about it. Be as positive as possible, and be as like kind of proactive and remedial as you can be. Don't be defensive. I think is in that circumstance, I would be trying to focus on why your background situates you to be a great candidate for that firm. Again, framing it in a positive fashion, and not just saying, you know, gosh, I had a hard time. You know, I think the I think the point has to go somewhere. It can't just be kind of drawing attention without some positive. And this will obviously be very circumstance specific yes. to what to what the issue is on the resume. Here's a the net for the next one. Here's a quick one. Um, do you think it's okay when you're doing callbacks, interviewing with four to six people back to back, to be asking the four to six people the same questions, or do you think they're comparing notes and that looks bad? Is it you know you could want to see how different people answer the same question, or you could need to mix it up? What do you think? I think it's an unambiguous yes, it's okay. I think the whole point is that these are your questions and you want them answered and you want them answered by more than one attorney at the law firm. Um, if anything, I, it might be strange uh, that you did not ask multiple people the question. So I don't think that means that you know, if you have five questions you want to ask and you only have time for two of them with one attorney and three of them with the other attorney, that's obviously fine. I don't think you need to ask them all the same question. Um, but I, I would never hold it against somebody that they uh, asked multiple uh, attorneys at the firm the same question unless it was a purely factual question that you could look up on the website or something like that and then if you're asking four different attorneys you know that that would be a problem but if it's if it's a question about you know why they chose the firm their day-to-day jobs etc I, I, absolutely I think you can ask and these are very attorneys. busy people so the idea that they're going to caucus yes, is I was going to make that absolutely. point yeah. never once have I compared yes. notes yes. on what a candidate yes. asked me yeah, that's great. All right, here's another here's a related question. <clears throat> For you, either based on your own experience interviewing or as an interviewer, what are the best questions that a candidate can ask to really kind of get a, a look behind, a glimpse behind the curtain and see kind of a, the reality of a law firm, you know, get past the marketing pitch and understand what they're getting themselves into. What are the best questions? One thing I would say is the question we mentioned earlier about how did you spend the last day or last hour or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever chunk of time you think might be interesting. Um, another thing that might be of interest to you one way or another is whether that associate socializes with other associates at the firm. Maybe you want a social firm. Maybe, frankly, you don't really want a social firm. Um, I think another, another a similar question, but um, that, that you could ask is just ask the person what they're working on. So, not just, you know, what did you do for the last four hours, the last day, but what, what four or five matters are you working on right now? And that, and that person, you know, some of them might be confidential. They can't go into uh, 
great specifics, but they can tell you, oh, I'm working on an investigation into X, or I'm working on a civil litigation about Y, or this, or this kind of um, M&A transaction. Um, and I think, you know, first of all, you ask that question to enough people, you'll get some insight into what matters the firm is handling. Um, and second of all, you know, I think lawyers, like all people, love to talk about themselves and talk about their lives. And so, you know, inviting the person to kind of talk about the interesting cases or matters that they're working on right then is, you know, not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> to- I'll throw out two other possible interview questions. One would be just a simple if you were sitting in my shoes, what would you like to have known about the firm at the time when you were making that selection? And then another question you might ask, especially an associate maybe who's third year or above, is to talk about how their work and their career and their skill set has changed and developed um, in the years that they've been at the firm, because that'll give you a nice flavor of what was the work like when they came in, and now what does their work look like um, as they've continued to develop, because you want to get a sense of opportunities for growth. I, I think those are both great questions. Do you guys think it would be too aggressive to ask somebody, you know, if there's one thing you could change about the firm or your practice, what would it be? I don't think it's too aggressive because I, I you, think it's I think it's a fair game question. You can get real, you're kind of forcing them to to put you know to speak yeah. to an issue that they don't like. But I know there's some disagreement about whether. Yeah, that's I cool. just I, I, my my honest response is that you're you're very likely to get um, an answer that is probably not firm specific and is probably just you know. Big law. big law or law <laughs> specific, you know, just yeah. uh, you know. Oh, I, I wish I worked thirty-five hours. Yeah, exactly. An opportunity to get some candid feedback, I believe, is once you have a couple of offers and you are strongly considering between two or three firms. Yeah, I believe an informal social event like a dinner or something like that, and you can always reach out to the firm and they will arrange it for you with a couple of associates maybe even one of your classmates too. I used to do those kind of dinners and I found them a really great opportunity to have a social conversation and really get to the heart of what my life looked like. You know, sometimes the harder aspects of it and the reality of that, but in a, for the positive, for the greater understanding of it. And I think that that's really where you're going to get your most information rather than a kind of canned question during the callback yeah. interview about what you would yeah. change. Most. I think that, that's a really good point. It's, it's, a, it's probably a better question for a return visit or a dinner or something once you have that offer in hand than to ask it at the callback when, frankly, you don't need to know the answer to that question at the callback because if you get an offer, you'll you'll have you know, further opportunity to ask the question. Great points. And we've alluded to it a couple of times now, but I'm glad we're talking about it explicitly. I think people would be amazed as at what an accurate read on a law firm you can get from interacting with 10 to 15 people mm-hmm. at that law firm. You know, the, 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 the one, the five is not going to get it done. But you talk to a dozen, you're going to have a pretty clear picture of kind of what it's like. So take every opportunity you can. If they're hosting admitted people cocktail hours, go to them. Reach out for these dinners. Great idea. Come in for a second look and have a coffee in the law firm. Talk to people in specific practice groups. Do all your diligence because it really is. Yeah. At the end of the day, the fit personality-wise is almost the most important thing, and there is no proxy for understanding whether that fits there or not than just like rubbing elbows with people at law firms. And even if you go to a law school that's far away from the city in which you're interviewing, you can just fly in, do, you know, a day or two where you have all of these uh, return visits or dinners. Well, you can only do so many dinners in a couple days, but, you know, coffees, whatever, scheduled, and just knock them out. 
Let's talk a little bit about some other interview-related mechanics. One question I, I, I got was whether we think associate interviews with associates matter or just the interviews with partners. What do you guys think? Do you think... Associate interviews absolutely matter. Agreed. <laughs> Excellent. What about, uh, is there any, uh, somebody asked about kind of fashion faux pas or fashion no-goes in inter- the interview context? Anything that you guys have seen that you think is not intuitive? I think, you know, you should be able to noodle most of this stuff out. Um, any, anything you think is, was worth giving advice on a podcast of this type to somebody? I mean, I guess just don't try to be a, a hero here. Uh, keep it keep it simple. Yeah. Um, so a basic suit is absolutely sufficient. Nobody cares where you bought it. Um, I know a common question that women may have uh, is whether, I mean, I don't even know if anybody even asks this anymore, but just in case you're wondering, skirts versus pants does not matter. And also particularly because most of your callbacks are going to be still in the summer weather, I do not believe this day and age you need to wear pantyhose. So you're welcome. <laughs> Matt, anything from you? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think... Uh, did you, you wear pantyhose? I, I did not wear pantyhose well, on my callbacks. Um, not during the week. Did not, <laughs> yeah, it was summer. It was summer. So, um, uh, no, I, I, look, I think um, you're, you're not going to be judged on your clothing unless there's a, a significant reason why to yeah, be judged on your clothing. Don't so look, don't look sloppy. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know. it doesn't require you have a nice suit. Yeah, it doesn't require no, you wearing brand names. Not. But, you know, have a press shirt. Yeah. You know, yeah. like don't don't come in with the super like simple stuff like that. Yes. Um, great. Uh, there were a number of questions about the lunch situation for kind of the midday callbacks. Um, Bread on the left, yeah. drinks on the right. <laughs> exactly. The the Let's D. do a quick yeah. etiquette yeah. <laughs> and, and forks from the outside. Yes, in. forks from the outside. In. A lot of firms will ask you if you want to go to lunch. Should you always say yes or no or what do you what do you guys think on that? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say yes if. if if it doesn't work into your schedule or for whatever reason, it's just not of interest to you. Um, I think I mostly took them up on the offer to go to lunch. I thought it was a good opportunity, uh, as Victoria was saying, to, to speak to some associates and get some honest, um, honest feedback. But um, I, I wouldn't do it if you didn't have to do it, if you didn't feel that you wanted to do it. I guess some people, and admittedly, it's been a while since I was, you know, attending these as a recruit or even for us, we tended to send our more junior associates to those lunches. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little far out from it now. You know, at that point, if you don't have your offer, candidates may feel some trepidation that they could screw it up if they say the wrong thing. Um, Do you guys think that they're still being assessed during the lunch? I I think the people who take you to lunch at most firms are still filling out the evaluations. Um, so I think you probably could get yourself into trouble. That said, dovetailing with what we were just talking about, it's a great way in a less formal setting and as part of more of a long-form, casual conversation to get really good intel about the firm. So maybe the, the benefits outweigh the, yeah. the and, and an important thing to remember here is that you know, every firm is going to be different about how they structure their the, the actual specific hiring decisions. So, look, maybe there are some firms where they're not evaluating you at lunch, but there could be other firms where they are, and there, and there could be firms where it's very, very, very important. So best just to assume that you, know, you should still be on... Uh, best behavior obviously does not mean that you can't ask candid questions. Um, you'll be able to get a sense of, of the people you're with and, and, and all of that. But, but keep the really spicy ones for post-offer. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, anything you should or shouldn't do? Like, for example, we got a question about ordering. Like, what can you order? Should you go for multiple courses? Should you just get the cheapest thing on the menu? I would I just follow the lead of, uh, of the associates you're with. You know, look, I don't think you're going to be dinged from a firm if you order multiple courses and, and the other people don't. But if, if they're order, only ordering one course, it could be that they're very busy <laughs> um, yep. and don't want to take uh, 
two and a half hour lunch. Yeah. Um, and so I, I would be mindful of that. I of think course. you hit the nail on the head. I mean, take, just take the lead of the yeah. people you're with. Yeah. And I would say you do not need to be cognizant of the cost of the items you're ordering no. because they're bringing you to that restaurant. If there is some gratuitously outlier, crazy truffle, gold, <laughs> flaming yeah. item caviar, that yeah. costs twice as much yeah. as the other items, that would be really weird. Yeah. But other than that, everything yeah. on Don't the menu is fair game. Well, yeah. well here, here's a question. I didn't get this as part of the podcast collection of questions, but I have gotten this many times in the past. If you're the associates you're with order booze, should you order a drink as well or no? I personally wouldn't. I but wouldn't. I, but, you know, I don't think it would. You know. And you know what? If you feel um, at all sort of uncomfortable or defensive about the fact that they are and you aren't, you know, you may have another interview later that day. You may need to prepare for another day's interview or do your class reading. And I would just say, you know, X, Y, Z and just kind of put it behind you and not make a big deal about it. Agreed. Great. All right. So you've gone through the interview. Uh, you've been lucky enough to get some offers. Um, let's talk about what you do next. Um, one of the questions we got is, how do you go about picking the right firm for you when they all kind of look the same from the outside? And I, I remember it all being a big black box at the beginning of the process. Yep. Any words of wisdom for people trying to figure this out? I'm going to go back to something I alluded to earlier um, in that I felt very flummoxed by the whole decision-making process and I was trying to rely on objective outward sources like some of the online resources that are purporting to do certain rankings and also certain reputational things about work-life balance and billable hours per associate and some of these things and I think that a lot of those sources don't really give you any enhanced understanding of what life is like. I mean, generally speaking, these firms pretty much represent the same clients. Mm -hmm. They do the same kind of work and your life is going to be equally sort of rigorous no matter where you choose, which brings us back to our point about fit and really trying to spend as much time with you as you can assessing where you feel the most comfortable. Um, I and my practice felt like I was able to show my personality and be myself. And that was a very important part of my being able to develop as a lawyer. Okay. Quick follow-up to that though. So you were at Sullivan and Cromwell, which I think is uncontroversially one of the five best law firms in the world for me. What if the, what if the dip, what if the choice is between a firm where you felt great fit, but that's a little bit further down the ladder and you got an offer for a top five, top 10 firm. Is there a, how, how would you think about that? How would you advise your little sibling if they were trying to make that choice? It's a really tough question because I see those two factors as both carrying a lot of importance. One thing I have come to appreciate more uh, as I began and continued in my practice as a lawyer is the importance of prestige when thinking about your near-term work and also your long-term trajectory as a lawyer. You know, sitting here, we are all not necessarily going to, in fact, we are definitionally not all going to become partners at the firms that we start out at. And so, you know, I came to appreciate more the importance of prestige. So fit and prestige, you know, it's really hard to give one answer. I don't think that you can say in all cases one versus the other. I think they are both really important. And I think that you just have to go by your gut in terms of, for example, if the highly prestigious firm is one where you just can't see yourself feeling comfortable, don't go work at that firm. I, I agree with that. I think, um, and for me, the, some other relevant data points are 
kind of your future plans. If, if you really, it's hard to know from the outside, but if you really suspect there's a chance you're going to try to find a practice niche and build a career and stay and make a run a partner in a single firm, definitely give a little bit more weight to the fit coming right out of the gate. If you're somebody who knows, uh, even if everything goes perfectly, you're probably going to want to make a change to either a different law firm, a different locality, uh, a completely different line of work, get out of practicing law altogether. You really probably should weight the prestige much more highly because your exit options are going to be dramatically different. Not to say that you can't overcome that, but just the prejudice will be substantial. Yeah, and, and one really important thing to remember, keep some perspective, uh, careers are very long in the grand scheme of things, um, and no decision is forever. So um, I think Victoria said that she summered at a different firm that she ended up working at. You know, that's not uncommon. You know, people that uh, from firm A to firm B after their first year, after their second year. People end up doing all sorts of different things. So I, I don't want to minimize the importance of this decision. It is a very important decision, but... You know, I think there, it is important to keep some perspective and not to stress about it too much because you know nothing you know nothing is irreversible when it comes to this. I'll just sort of add on. This is following up on other things we've been talking about about coming back for a second look, et cetera. But just generally know that once you have an offer, firms go into the mode of wanting to do everything yeah. they can do to get you to accept your offer. So. Don't be afraid to do any of the following. Reach out to recruiting about a second visit. Tell recruiting that there's a specific type of associate that you're interested in meeting. Um, That could be practice area, that could be personal characteristics, whatever it is. Um, Reach out to one of the associates or partners with whom you interviewed, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Don't be afraid to reach out and get the information that you need. Okay, so you've made your decision. You've, you've, You've zeroed in on the firm you want. You've accepted the offer. What should you do next? Should you be sending notes to the firms you didn't accept offers at? Like, talk to me about those sorts of mechanics. So I feel very strongly about this point. If there is a particular lawyer from a firm that you declined the offer with who, you know, reached out to you a lot, maybe they took the time to talk to you on the phone a couple times or took you to dinner or otherwise seemed to be the person running point on your follow-up as a candidate and you declined that offer, please give them a phone call. I know that this day and age, it feels more comfortable and more natural to send that in an email, but I there was one candidate in particular that I still remember, and they sent me an email after just multiple rounds of contact, and it was really off-putting. This world is a very small world. You may come across them again, and also, going back to the fact that I summered at a different firm, it's a good thing I didn't burn the bridge with SNC because, you know, I circled back with them and wanted an opportunity to return after turning down my summer offer. And it's because I had an ongoing great relationship with the partner that that was able to happen. Right. And that, and that just goes back to what I was just saying about careers being long, nothing yep. being forever. You know, this is a small world. You have no idea where you're going to be in five years, six years, maybe that person that you had a great connection with. But you know, didn't decide to work at that firm for whatever reason, um, ends up being an in-house lawyer somewhere that you are then interviewing for a job or, you know, any number of possibilities. Goes to a different firm and then you want to go work at that firm. It's, you you will always, um, it will amaze you how much you kind of come across the same people um, and how much people move, change jobs. And, you know, you just don't want to burn any bridges at, you know, as a 2L. And give a call to the lawyers who invested in you at the firm that you accepted, too. Yeah, yeah, and, you yeah. know, it's, it's a nice thing. It's yeah. starting to build these professional relationships. And by the way, lawyers are really busy. Like, it's yeah. not going to be a long conversation. Yeah, no, so. no. And, and I'll just I'll say, you know, 
So not so it's all uh, a negative spin here. It's not about not burning bridges. It's also about, you know, affirmatively building bridges. And, you know, somebody, you know, might really be touched and really like the fact that you reached out to them. And you never know, uh, you know, if you're going to run into that person again two years down the road, five years down the road. That's great advice. Um, So for our last little bucket. Can I ask one more question on this topic? Yeah, let's do it. What if it goes to voicemail? Do you leave it in a voicemail or do you call back later? I would be fine receiving the voicemail for the person. I think you, you know, I, that still is a, okay. the person took the time, they made the phone call. That's my view, but, you know. If I, I picking up on your point, I do think there's power in having the conversation in terms of the personal connection. So I, if you're going to make the choice that you think it's best to connect by phone, then I would connect by phone. So you can leave the voicemail and say, I'd love to chat with you briefly. Can you call me back? Whatever. Got it. Um, that, that would be my take. Um, all right, last little uh, bucket of questions is kind of a miscellaneous bucket of questions that we received that we'll tick through quickly here right at the end. Um, thank you notes. What do you think? Meh. I like them. I like them. I mean, you know, I, I will say I don't think I get them from the majority of people that I interview with. But, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I don't think it would be move the needle on ultimately, you know, my feedback on the person, but but it, it, it can't hurt. I, I was going to say, do you even remember the people who do versus the people that don't? Um, I, th- I I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. You're I think, keeping, you're I think that I do. I think that I do. I, it's not a key, it's not a scorekeeping, but I, I it just it stands out when someone does, and and maybe that says something about the fact that most people don't. I mean, if, if everybody did and then one or two people didn't, I probably wouldn't remember that they didn't, but I do remember the people that did, if that makes sense. Agree or disagree? I think if you're going to send one of those emails, it should not be some stock, you yeah, know, no, thank I, you for your, well, that's, you know. That's why it's hard because it's a little bit, you know, kind of going back to something we were talking about before, while it's fine to ask the same questions to four different lawyers at a firm, it's probably a little bit awkward to send four different lawyers at the same firm. Exact same email. Word for word, thank you emails. So, you know, don't be don't be phony, but if you can personalize it in some way, that's great. And look, you can also, I mean, you probably would never get busted if you sent a thank you note to a couple people and not to everybody, you know, if, depending on who you felt you could say something really personal to. Um, no, I don't think it's make or break, but I, I do think it's a it's a nice gesture. Uh, I, I agree with all that. One of the reasons I mentioned it is because I've come across feedback from career services departments affirmatively advising students not to send thank you notes. Hmm. And even though I agree with you, Matt, I don't think it's going to ding you. And oftentimes the emails are already gone by the time you get the thank you notes. But for me, it's a nice – it can be a nice gesture. Yeah. Next question, what are your views on splitting summers between two firms? Good idea, bad idea. I'm agnostic. I, I, I hope that's not an unhelpful answer, but um, I just – you know, if you, I, I suppose, you know, there should be a reason for it, you know, different cities or truly different practice areas, something like that. Um, but um, if it's just going to be because you really can't decide, you, you might not be able to decide after the summer either. So it's probably just, you know, might as well toss a coin and, uh, and go for it. I wouldn't do it. It's very hard to get a sense of the firm in seven weeks or something like that. It's hard enough to get everything that you want to accomplish done during the 13 weeks. And joining during July is just a tough time to be joining. You won't have a proper summer class that you're in yeah. with. I, I would, I would, unless there's a specific yeah. reason, I wouldn't do it. I think I agree. I'm, I'm convinced. That, that's a very good point. Uh, and relatedly, what are your thoughts on doing a rotation to a foreign office of the same firm? 
that can have some of the same consequences as splitting between firms. Um, I don't know. I mean, if you're doing it because you want to have yeah. some playtime in a foreign country, I see the appeal of that. Um, I guess you need to weigh that against how much you want to get a real picture of what the firm is going to be, or perhaps you are seriously considering practicing in a foreign office. But if that's the case, I would make sure you have an understanding of whether that's a meaningful opportunity. Yeah. yeah. I spent a couple of years in Davis Polk's London office, and I agree with you. It, it's hard enough to get a good read on on a firm if you spend the entire summer in the right. place you're thinking you're going to practice, trying everything you can. That's hard enough. If you take time away, it makes it really difficult. That said, if you are committed to trying to do a rotation in a foreign office, it's great to actually see what that looks like on the ground before you commit two years of your life to it. Um, it can be a very different experience. You know, 500 lawyers versus 50, a completely different country. That could be really useful. But I probably wouldn't treat it as a vacation opportunity. Um, unfortunately, it, it's time for us to wrap up. Um, thanks so much to you both for joining us today. Uh, we'll give our, our third panelist friend a hard time for, for not making it. Um, but we'll, we'll loop her in on a subsequent conversation if we have one. Uh, thank you to everyone who submitted questions for the podcast. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, we'd love to hear what you thought about today's panel. And if you have more interview or callback questions, let us know. Maybe we can do this again. You can reach us by leaving a comment on our blog at blacklinesandbillables.com. Email us at podcast at blacklinesandbillables.com. Find us on LinkedIn or Facebook or tweet at us. Our handle is at BNB Legal, at BNB Legal. We'll be back again soon with our next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.